Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for the fact that you are a God who is good and loving and righteous and just. And Lord, you are a gracious God. And you, one of the expressions of your grace is one another, your church. And I pray that, Lord, we might continue to abound in our love for you and for one another, even as we apply this message to our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So happy to be back in this text again. I've been learning so much just walking through the book of Titus. I hope that you have as well. Um, This is the third time that I've actually uh, taught through the book of Titus, not necessarily from my main pulpit, but uh, every time that I go through the book of Titus, I just learn so much, and I have even through the series that we've been doing. So many nuggets of gold in God's Word, aren't there? And all we need to do is just trust in the Lord, be diligent students, and rely upon His Spirit for Him to show us. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 is our text for this morning. It says this, Older women... Likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they might encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Well, I'm sure that each of you has maybe precious uh, mementos or Objects that remind you of a special person in your life, maybe a significant past event or a particular memory. Um, Some of those for me are are, are pictures, are family pictures over the years. I love looking at pictures, and I'm pretty confident I would probably probably go into a state of depression if we ever lost any of our family pictures. Those are precious to us, aren't they? Um, I have other uh, mementos, um, things that are uh, special to me and to my wife as well. If you go into my office... Uh, there's this uh, small rectangular uh, picture frame with the um, statement, Great is thy faithfulness, or the scripture, Great is thy faith- faithfulness, written in calligraphy. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23 on this little frame. It's not very big. It's, it's very simple, very small, not very flashy or super creative, just pretty straightforward. But it's very special to my wife and I for a number of reasons and two primary reasons. Uh, one, it reminds me of um, a very special season of life for Andrea and I, my wife, uh, before we uh, were married, when we were engaged. Uh, just the, the, it reminds me of the anticipation of marriage after four and a half years of dating, and I would never recommend anybody to do that, okay? Truly, um, in some ways, we did it out of necessity. We had to, but, boy, after four and a half years of dating, we wanted to be married. Um, so it reminds me of that. Secondly, closely tied to that was just the, the wonderful growth uh, that, that I just remember um, experiencing in my own life, and especially just in the, in the life of my, of my wife. And in particular, because of the influence of an older woman during that time who was spending a lot of time with her, older godly woman. She was heavily invested into my wife, helped her think through a lot of issues regarding her past and even her own walk with Jesus at the time, and... Uh, just was a precious, precious woman in her life. Um, she wanted to teach Andrea as well about marriage and what to look forward to and abiding in Jesus and not being a woman who is um, looking to her husband to fulfill her, but looking to Christ to fulfill her. I think those are some of the topics that they talked through during that time. And I saw such a, an ama- amazing amount of growth in then my fiance, Andrea. Um, that frame that's in my office was given to us at our engagement party 
um, by this woman. Uh, and she wrote that in calligraphy, and she put, Great is thy faithfulness, just as an ongoing reminder to Andrea and I of that period of time and what the Lord did uh, in our lives and in our hearts during that time. It was a precious and formative time in both of our lives. And I'll never forget that some of that was made possible by the Lord by bringing a relationship uh, to uh, my wife, this older, godly woman. Whenever I think about individuals like that and others that have come into both of our lives, I'm reminded over the years to not ever, ever, ever underestimate the influence of older godly Christians and what impact they can have on younger Christians. And this is kind of what we've been seeing in Titus chapter 2, right? That the older are to be investing themselves into the younger. We've been seeing in Titus 2 that having been restored to a right relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ, our gracious God, and He is gracious in this. He has designed His church, His people, all of those who turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus to be a place where His people are cultivating relationships for mutual growth and encouragement in Jesus Christ. That's an act of the grace of God and how He's designed His church. You know, we talk so much about um, expository preaching. I think we also need to be talking about expository listening and expository application in the lives of believers. That we are to be taking the preaching of the Word of God and then we are to be giving it flesh, so to speak, in the context of real, authentic, life-on-life relationships that promote and foster growth into Christ's likeness in one another's lives. We need to be applying the Word to our relationships. And we've seen this in uh, this issue of relationships in Titus, right? Paul invested himself into Titus. He calls him in chapter 1, verse 4, my true child in a common faith. Paul is a spiritual father, if you will, to Titus. Elders are to be invested into the church and reproducing themselves into others by means of their teaching, by means of their example. They ought to have a relationship with the flock. In Titus chapter 2, older men then are to be invested into younger men. And we're going to see this in the next few weeks as well. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, how older men are to be invested into the younger men of the church. And in like manner, we've been seeing that older women, you are to be investing and reproducing yourself into younger women in the church. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. That's your relationship with the Lord. They are to be set apart for the Lord and devoted to the Lord. Not malicious gossips. That's with relation to your brethren. You are to love them in the way that you speak about others. Nor enslaved to much wine. That is in relation to self. You are to be a woman who displays self-control. Learning to deny yourself of sin and embracing Christ's likeness. And then he says at the end of verse 3, teaching what is good. So that verse 4, They might encourage the young women or train the young women is the sense there to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. So that, and underline this motivation, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So note, older women, you are to train the younger women. Beginning with maybe perhaps daughters that you may have in your home. They would be considered younger women. You are to be training those younger women, if you have them, daughters in your home, and extending out onto the local church where you are invested into the younger women of the church. 
Recently, we, we uh, spoke as elders to an older pastor, godly man, and he said that they make no bones about this issue in their church, that they constantly talk about the fact that they want to be a next-generation church, a next-generation church. And to him, what that means is that they are a disciple-making church, right? Those two things are really synonymous. If you want to be a disciple-making church, then you're focused on the next generation, And so I'm here to remind you who are older godly men and older godly women, part of the way that you you finish the race of the Christian life well, no matter how many days or months or years the Lord may have you here on this earth remaining, is to invest yourself and reproduce yourself into the next generation who will then carry the baton until the Lord Jesus returns. You're to be invested into the next generation. Now some of you take this very seriously. This issue of disciple-making. You're constantly sharing your faith. You're calling sinners to repentance out of love and mercy for them. You're calling them to put their faith in Jesus Christ. You're discipling other people in the church informally, formally. You're using your gifts and your abilities to build up others in the, in the context of the church. You are a disciple-making disciple, and you're striving to be that by the grace of God. Others of you are very indifferent to your call. Maybe you're very much focused and preoccupied with peripheral matters. You're, doing bu- you're very busy doing many, many, many different things, but not the main things and not the priorities that God calls you to. Others of us just feel very inadequate for the task. Who am I? What do I have to offer? I am weak. I have my own vulnerabilities. May I remind you yet again that if we go based upon that logic, none of us should be doing anything we do, Right? None of us should render any service because, listen, none of us are adequate in ourselves. Our adequacy comes from God. It is all by grace in all of these situations. We need the grace of God. And that's why the ultimate motivation and basis and fuel for everything that we do in the church is given to us in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. None of us bring anything to the table. We were saved by grace, not by our good works, not because we were good people, but because we recognized that we were sinners that were, who's, uh, who, who, are, who were condemned before a holy God, and we trusted in Jesus' finished work on the cross. The one who satisfied the wrath of God had absorbed the penalty for our sins on the cross. We trusted in Jesus. It is not based upon anything that we do. But even in the Christian life as we live, it is not based upon anything that we do either. It's all by the grace of God. The grace of God is the fuel that trains us to this, in, this, in this task of disciple-making, of passing on the baton to the next generation. So if we are going to be a people who are focused on our mission, beloved, we need to have this mindset that we are not here for ourselves only. We are here for those who come after us, Right? We are here to invest ourselves into others. Now, for you older women, we've been talking about the fact that it is your responsibility in the church primarily to train the young women of the church, beginning with those in your home, but extending onto the local church. And here in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, you get some help. I love this. You are provided here in chapter 2 of Titus verses 4 through 5 with both the curriculum for training younger children and the motivation for training younger women. I love how God works, right? He's such a gracious God. 
He not only tells us to do something and instructs us and even tells us to do it out of love, right, and gratitude to Him, but He tells us how to do it. Here is the content, what what training consists of for you older women in the sense of what you're going to invest into the younger women. First of all, we see the curriculum for training young women. Notice what he says in verse, uh, the end of verse 3. You are to be teaching what is good so that... You might encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. We have a curriculum here, some subject matters that you older women need to focus on with the younger women. So first of all, subject matter number one under this curriculum, you're to train the younger women in loving family relationships. Loving family relationships. And underline that word loving because that's the focus here in verse 4. Younger women were to be taught, verse 4, to love their husbands and to love their children. And this is very significant, literally to be husband lovers and children lovers. This was very significant because during the time of this book, uh, marriages were arranged And so oftentimes women were not emotionally connected to their husbands. Also women were, people had a very low view of women and women in the home. They were not, um, uh, these women were devalued. They were underappreciated. They were seen as sort of second class citizens in society, oftentimes treated like slaves. And so the danger for many women in this kind of situation would have been for them to go through the motions and sort of robotically uh, meet their husband's needs and serve their children and just maintain the kids, all the while having her heart disconnected, cold, and indifferent to her family. To render a sort of heartless service in the context of the home. To have service without delight. Duty without devotion. And yet we know that our Heavenly Father does not want service without devotion or delight, right? God wants us to love Him, and He wants us to, uh, to obey Him out of love for Him. He wants us to sacrifice and serve Him out of love for Him. And the same thing goes for, for wives in the home. God wants you to render your service unto Him because you truly love Him and because you truly cherish and treasure your husband and your children in the home. In fact, that's the word that He uses for love here in, in, in verse 4. He uses a word for love, the word from which we get Philadelphia. It's a city of brotherly love, right? It's brotherly love. It's a, this love is a deep inner affection for another person. It has to do with a genuine, heartfelt uh, love that cherishes her husband and her children. That looks to do good and to benefit her family from genuine care and concern for her family. Our Heavenly Father does not simply want us to go through the motions, right? Ladies, He doesn't simply want you to be in the home if you're married with children and simply just do your duties. He wants you to obey, but He wants you to do it because you love your family. And obviously that flows from an overflowing love for Him. So love, genuine care drives your obedience. And so older women, listen, you are to, to lead, to model by your example and teach with your words to younger women that they are to be lovers of their husbands and lovers of their children. This is the way that you ought to train them in this subject matter of loving family relationships. 
And you know what I find comforting in here for you younger uh, uh, married women or for all of us is that if he instructs this, it means that if you lack this kind of affectionate love, genuine affectionate love for your family currently, you can relearn it, right? Because the older women are being instructed to train the younger women to have this kind of love, meaning that you can relearn that if you don't have that. I find that very comforting and gracious of the Lord. Where does this cultivation of this love, uh, how, does this, how, does, how is this cultivated? Well, I submit to you that it begins with a right view of God for all of us. But especially as it pertains to you wives in the context of the home. Oftentimes wives can become very discontent and very dissatisfied and very much feeling like their, their, their function in the home and their responsibilities are meaningless and purposeless and they're going nowhere. That's very common for all of us, but especially for young wives in the context of the home. And so you can become very discontent and therefore not render this kind of love toward your family. And yet listen to what James chapter 1 verse 17 says. It says there that every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His Word, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Right? So it says there in James chapter 1, verse 17 that God is a good God. And he shows his goodness to us, first and foremost, in the fact that he has saved us, the new birth. And then it says that every good gift comes down from him. There is nothing, ladies, that God has given you right now, even as a wife and as a mother, that God has not given you as a gift. It is a gift of God. He only gives good gifts to his children. So if you are going to function this way, you need, to, you need to look to the Word of God, to the kind of God that you worship, that He's not giving you the short end of the stick, right? But He gives only good gifts. Marriage is a gift. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 calls marriage the grace of life, meaning that it is a gift of God to be married, right? It's also a gift to be single if God has called you to that. But if you're married, it is a gift, and oftentimes we don't live that way, right? We don't rejoice in marriage that way. It says in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, that children are a blessing from the Lord, that the fruit of the womb is a reward from the Lord. How blessed is the, is the man whose quiver is full of them, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. That's what the Word of God says regarding children. So marriage is a gift. Children are a blessing from a good Heavenly Father who only gives good gifts. And what it comes down to for many of us is are we going today to believe the lies of the world or believe what the Word of God says? And see, the problem is not with what the Word of God says. The problem is our own sin, right? And the fact that we don't live within the bounds of God's word for his glory and for our ultimate happiness and those around us. We, we are disobedient to God's instructions that are ultimately to bring happiness to our lives and fulfillment that gives glory to him. If you were to ask a typical person who is married outside of the church, secular statistics, uh, um, uh, point to the fact that if you ask nine or ten married couples concerning marriage and and their view of marriage you're going to get a lot of frowns it's outdated it's enslaving that's the gist of what you're going to hear it's a it's a custom that hinders progress in the life of somebody else you'll be amazed and some of that can even infiltrate into the church 
in some married couples who maybe are experiencing some difficulties and their view of marriage is very, very negative and their view of children is very negative. Children are a nuisance. Children are a burden. They hold us back from self-fulfillment and purpose. Those mentalities could be prevalent even amongst us. And you know what these kinds of opinions show? They reveal a view of God. That God has given us the short end of the stick. That God is not a merciful, gracious, good God who has given you your wife or your husband, who has given you your children, who has given you brethren, and it is an act of His grace. You don't deserve who you have as a spouse. You don't deserve the children that you have. You don't deserve your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't deserve the job that you have. You don't deserve the home or the cars or the possessions that you have. It's all beloved by the grace of a good and gracious God. Amen? He is good. God has shown us different than the mindset in the world. He's a loving and gracious God. So ladies, relearning to love your husband and to love your children tenderly, affectionately begins with your view of God's goodness. That everything that you have is a gift from the Lord. What do we deserve? What do we deserve? Hell. We deserve hell. Right? We were under condemnation. Living in darkness. Living in rebellion against our holy creator. Who is good to us. Even as rebels, He was good to us and that He gives us rains and fruitful seasons and satisfies our hearts with so many good things and we were rebels against Him. And yet He sent His Son, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a loving God, isn't He? A gracious God who sent His Son to die on the cross, who absorbed God's wrath for our sins in our place on the cross, that by believing in Jesus and Jesus alone, not your works and not your performance, He saves you. He grants you forgiveness. He grants you redemption. You are now adopted into His family. You address Him as your heavenly Father. You now have brothers and sisters in Christ and you're a part of a family. You have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have treasures hidden in Jesus Christ of wisdom and knowledge and abundance of those things. We have so much to be thankful for, right? And if that wasn't enough, He has given given us a family. A family. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. All of these things address our discontent. Our discontent flows from a wrong, deficient, sinful view of God. He's a good and gracious God. You say, but oh, pastor, it's hard. It's tough. I know. I know that it is. And I don't understand your particular situation. Well, my husband can be, can be such a loser. He can be such a jerk sometimes. Listen, I don't know. I'll take your word for it, I guess. It can be very difficult to have the children that I have. I don't understand your parenting situation. All I know is that we all have struggles, do we not? But let me ask you this. Regardless of how difficult your situation is, how does God, by His grace, deal with you? You were not lovable before coming to Christ. And many times you and I are not lovable even in Christ. We're ungodly many times. In our thoughts, in our meditations, in our words, and in our actions, right? Right? 
How does God continually abound in his love for us? Well, it's shown to us because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross, right? See, it is from the fountain of God's grace, ladies, you who are married with children that you must continually drink from, if you are to abound in your love this way for your husband and for your children. And that goes for all of us, but especially for you young wives who often experience disappointment and discouragement. May I remind you to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, the fountain of living waters. Drink from Him. Fill your heart with Jesus, His person and His work as revealed in the Word of God. Go to the author and perfecter of your faith. Go to the one who is your encourager. Go to the one who has loved you. Go to the one who is your high priest continually. And he says, come to me, come to me for mercy that you may receive grace to help in time of need. You don't deserve it, but he continually lavishes it upon you, right? And the more that you're filled with Jesus, his person and his work, the more that from that abounding love that he's shown toward you, you can then overflow in your love for your family. That's where it comes from. A right view of God and a realization of His grace shown toward, towards us in Christ Jesus, right? So the first subject matter of an older woman's curriculum in training younger women are loving family relationships. Loving family relationships. Secondly, the second subject matter that you older women are to train the younger women in is Christ-like personal character. Christ-like personal character. He says in verse 5 that they are to be taught to be sensible and pure. Sensible and pure. We'll just take those two as Christ-like personal character. You've seen that word sensible at the beginning of verse 5 countless times here in the book of Titus. In chapter 1, verse 8, elders are called to be sensible or self-controlled men who... uh, who control their cravings, so to speak, their impulses. In chapter 2, verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible. Here in chapter 2, verse 5, we see it. In chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to see that Titus is to urge the young men to be sensible. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, it says that grace, the grace of God, teaches us, instructs us, trains us to be people who are sensible. Sensible literally means a saved mind. A saved mind and refers to a life of of self-control that flows from Christ-like thinking. Before you came to know Christ, what was your mind? What did your what was your mind characterized by? Darkness, corruption, right? Futile, vain. But now, post having met Jesus Christ, we have the mind of Christ, and we are to be cultivating the mind of Christ. And that means that we need to be sensible people. Sensible people. And listen, older saints, if there's ever a need in the church, it's for those who are older to help the younger think like Jesus according to his word and not like the culture around us. And everything flows from mindset, by which I mean attitude, right? Everything flows from that. As we think, we will live and act and make decisions and pursue certain priorities. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. I mentioned to you last week, what is, it, what is the thinking of the world today in this whole women's liberation movement? Is that essentially men's and women's roles are outdated. They are social contra, constructs or cultural norms promoted by Judeo-Christian values over the centuries. And they are demeaning and condescending to women and to men in some, in some ways. 
and elevate men above women. That they send the message that men are better than women. And so what is the response or what should be the solution for the, the, two, uh, the uh, new millennial woman, if you will? It is to escape and be freed from these norms to pursue self-fulfillment, self-actualization, freedom and independence and career and whatever else at the expense of even if she is married with children of abandoning that role. That's what we hear in our culture. Maybe not that explicit, but in all of the social media things that get put out, commercials and all of that, right? I'm amazed at sometimes how explicit these things can be, this mindset that's being passed on. Um, A couple of weeks ago when the Dodgers were in the World Series, still getting over that one still, but there was this one commercial that kept coming out 10 to 15 times during one of the games, and I even memorized the stinking song. That's how many times it came out, or it was shown. Um, it was basically a Nissan commercial promoting their new car. And it's this, and it's this uh, mom who is going up the street, driving very slowly as she's heading to her home, and then her little girl is in her tricycle on the sidewalk, and they're both going parallel. She's going, and they're kind of looking at each other as they drive very slowly with these devious little eyes, right? And then the song in the background, right? That I, I, like I said, I memorized it because I didn't have any choice how many times they showed it. I'm a bad woman to keep. I'm a black sheep. I'm a black sheep. I'm a black sheep. And there was a lot of other stuff said. Are you kidding me? Maybe to some of us that may not be much of a big deal. But you know what's happening there, right? Yeah, you're promoting a car, Nissan. But I kept thinking to myself, way to go, Nissan. Way to go, uh, American social media yet again, this time via television. As if we didn't already have enough problems with our little girls, right? Not teaching them to be sensible, but be a black sheep. Be a little rebel. Be a little diva. That's what we're teaching our young girls. From the time that they're very little and everything that we're promoting. And I keep thinking how sad that we're teaching the next generation to be autonomous and anti-authority and go with your impulses and pursue everything you want to pursue, right? You're not accountable to God. You're not accountable to other people. You don't defer to anybody else. You just adopt this mindset of independence and freedom, regardless of what God thinks about your life. This is so prevalent and promoted by our world, beloved. And yet the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are not, 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 not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the not, not, not was my repetition for emphasis, right? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world or patterned after this world's thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The Word of God revealed reveals the mind of Christ, Right? And if the older can invest into the younger, it's by helping them go to the Word of God. How does is a sensible mind achieved? It's by continually being renewed by the Word of God, by being shaped by God's priorities, by having everything that we think about regulated by Scripture. Isn't that what we just talked about a few Sundays ago, the principle of sola scriptura? God's Word is the final and ultimate authority for all matters of faith and practice. Scripture alone is. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not our impulses, which are unstable and not sure markers of the truth. Not the popular opinion of our culture, 
But the Word of God and what the Word of God reveals. Older women, what a tremendous opportunity that you have to invest into the daughters in your home as well into, as into spiritual daughters in the context of the local church to train younger women to be sensible, to function according to a saved mind as revealed in the Word of God and to model that for them. And to talk to them about your experiences, how maybe you weren't very sensible back in the day, but how God taught you by His grace to be different, right? What a great need. Notice also in verse 5, with regards to Christ-like personal character, they are to be taught to be pure, pure, chaste, innocent, modest. Carries the idea of generally morally pure, but specifically of maintaining oneself sexually pure. Specific to that area of life, which is, should be true of all of us. All of us should be uh, pursuing purity, right? Sanctity, innocence, and the, those things that honor the Lord. But especially for you older women, you need to be training the younger women to do that. Younger women, listen to me. You need to be a one-man woman. A one-man woman if you're married. And if you're single, you need to be cultivating a heart of devotion to Christ so that one day you could be positioned to be a one-man woman if God should have marriage in, in, uh, there for you. For married women, you are to be devoted in heart and conduct to your husband. God has designed marriage to be an exclusive covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And so, ladies, you are to fight hard to maintain that devotion and exclusivity in your marriage. And no one else, no one else, obviously Christ should rule in your heart first and foremost, but no one on the human level should be above your husband in your heart. No one. This gets into the heart of the matter, doesn't it? You are to watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence. It takes hard work, doesn't it? To be focused on the right things in the heart. In the place where nobody else sees what you're thinking, but God does. So that life is never private. We're always living our lives before the presence of God, right? God sees everything. So watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of light. That means that everything comes, flows from what is in your heart. And what you're putting into your mind. Some people don't like to hear things like these. But, and they say, don't put rules on me with regards to that. Just keep it at the principle level. Don't put rules in what this looks like in the Christian life. Listen to me. It's not about rules. But if you understand the principle of watching your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life, then that means that you will take necessary precautions in your life to not fall on your face and get too close to the fire lest you be burned. Right? That's what it means. So, be careful with what you expose your mind to. Be careful. Music. Be careful, ladies, for you, the type of literature that you read. That might uh, move your, your affections away from your husband and attach it to something else and some, some godlike, little, little godlike figure of a man who is perfect and your husband doesn't measure up to that man. Be careful with that. Images or correspondence on social media. Be careful with that. There could be emotional attachments to anyone else but your husband because of the fact that you're not careful on social media in our day and age. And in case you think this, is, this doesn't happen, 
I knew of a, of a woman once who reignited her attachment to her high school sweetheart by just starting up a, a conversation, uh, first of all, publicly via Facebook. Just started with, you know, reconnecting. Hey, how you doing? Good. This is what I'm doing. This is what, what he's doing. He wasn't married. She was married. And then it became private. And then they hooked up for a private meeting without her telling her husband. And then there was more conversation and more spending time. And eventually it led to a sexual attachment and there was adultery on her part. You don't think this kind of stuff happens all the time? It happens even in Christian circles, by the way. If we're not careful. A while back... I read the sad testimony as well of a caring husband who bought his wife a, a, a membership to a local athletic club. And the design was for him and her to spend time together working out because that was one of her goals and one of his goals as well. So at the beginning, they were both spending time doing that. Eventually, he kind of gave up on it. He was very busy, right, with his job. And she started going by herself. And she meets this guy who was basically working out at the gymnasium. And he begins to manipulate the situation so that every time she's there, he's there too. And she didn't have it in her heart initially to commit adultery, right? But she strikes up a conversation. There's more talking. There's more spending time. And before you know it, you had a full-blown affair. And she ended up leaving her husband. We need to be careful. We need to be careful and not be naive, right? Not be naive. Thinking that we can get close to the fire and... It won't burn us. That we will be the exception. I don't have to take those parameters because I am above that. Listen, you're not above that. You're not. None of us are. It's by the grace of God that we're able to be who we are, right? None of us are above that. Listen, remember the law of relationships. Ladies, if you're going to be pure, but for all of us, if we're going to stay pure, remember the law of relationships and it goes something like this. Time plus conversation in isolation or exclusivity equals attachment. Think about it. Time, initially, you know, general, but eventually more and more intimate time in conversation, uh, maybe beginning very generally in conversation, but eventually it leads to more and more conversation that leads into intimate things. Plus isolation equals attachment. Initially, it starts as an emotional attachment. Eventually, it leads to sexual sin. And all kinds of damage and destruction. That's just the way that it goes. Don't try to fight it. That's the way that God has designed relationships to function. And within the context of marriage, it's beautiful and lovely and cherished and treasured. Because you come into this covenant relationship before God with another, with your spouse. And you spend time together and there's intimacy and conversation and isolation and exclusivity. And that's good. No one is to take the place of your spouse in that beautiful relationship. And it leads to all kinds of lovely expressions of uh, love for one another. In the right context, it's a beautiful thing. Outside of the context of marriage, it is destructive and damaging, isn't it? Damaging. And our human nature, our sinful human nature, corrupts every good and perfect gift that God has given. Sex is a beautiful thing to be enjoyed in the intimacy of a, of a committed covenant relationship between husband and wife. And we have corrupted it, right? And made it a filthy thing. And it is not. It's beautiful. It's intended for pleasure and reproduction. It's a beautiful thing within the confines and the context of marriage. That's the law of relationships. 
And you can try to fight it if you want. Fine. Maybe you say, you know what? Uh, I can I can be the exception, right? You won't. You won't. It's like the law of gravity. Suppose you go to downtown Burbank right now, and you take a drive over there, and there's a one of the buildings that's in downtown Burbank is the Holiday Inn, at least five stories high. I think it's even more than that. Suppose that you go to the top of the Holiday Inn, and you you tell yourself, self, I'm going to jump off the Holiday Inn hotel, and I won't land splat on the on the ground. I'll be the guy who floats with no help. I'll be the person who flies with no help. I'll be the person who throws myself in, and, and right as I get down to the ground, I will land very carefully. Right? You can try to convince yourself of that. Try it sometime. Actually, don't try it, right? What does the law of gravity say? You throw yourself from that building, you will fall flat on the ground and you will suffer the repercussions of that, right? It's the law of relationships as well. You spend time in conversation, in an extended way, in isolation or exclusivity with somebody else, not your spouse. It will lead to an emotional attachment that eventually will lead to you being unfaithful. It will. And you won't be pure, chaste, innocent before the Lord. For us husbands, we need to be guarding the purity of our wives, men. We need to be guarding the purity of our wives. I'm not talking about you being an insecure, control freak husband who doesn't trust your wife. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about trust with accountability, right? I think that's what Scripture calls us to, to believe the best, to hope all things, to trust our spouses with accountability. We're accountable to God and we're accountable to one another. There's no such thing as freedom. Hey, trust me. You don't have to keep tabs on me. That is wrong. And that is leaving you susceptible to temptation, right? So, what is your wife reading? You're the spiritual shepherd of your home. What is she spending her time doing? What is she fixated upon? What is she watching? What is she exposing herself to? You need to be looking at those things as a loving shepherd, right? Not as a self-righteous control freak. You're doing the things that you don't want her to do, right? You need to lead by example. But what is she doing? What is she spending time with? Who is she spending time with? Are you directing her to the right kinds of people? In our day and age, there should be no area on social media that your wife, husbands, is not accountable to you for. And this goes for us as men as well. We need to be accountable to our wives first and foremost, right? For the use of our social media. It goes both ways. Both ways, men need this accountability as well. We weren't created to be autonomous. We weren't created to be anti-authority, independent, isolated creatures. We were created to be dependent upon our Creator, right? That's the Creator-creature distinction. God created us. We're accountable to Him. He has all authority. He's a sovereign ruler over everything. We need to answer to Him. That's the problem with the unbeliever. He doesn't want to answer to God, right? He rejects God. He suppresses the truth of God. He wants to be autonomous and rule his own life. That's the problem of the unbeliever. That shouldn't be the case with a believer. We understand that we need to worship the one true God, right? And we're accountable now to one another in the church, to other believers. And you as, as, as spouses are accountable to your spouse. You are not to function autonomously. So what is the curriculum for training younger women? Train them in loving family relationships, ladies. Train them in Christ-like personal character. And here's the third subject matter. Train them in their privileged household responsibility. Their privileged household responsibility. Look at verse 5. 
Younger women are to be taught to be workers at home and kind. I think those two go together. She is kind in the way that she carries out her work within the context of the home. By the way, this is not a prohibition against ever, ever working outside the home. This is especially true if you are a a single or widowed woman. It is understandable that you don't have a man in your life who's going to provide for you. You need to work to make ends meet and to provide for yourself. That's understood. Or if you are married and must from necessity, and underline that, from necessity or for a season, work to to make ends meet, and you need to work, that may be very well something that you need to do. Maybe your husband's lost his job. Maybe he doesn't earn enough and you need to supplement the income, right? We see even in the Proverbs 31 woman that she went out and she was very much an entrepreneur in the use of her abilities and her talents to come alongside of her husband, even financially speaking. But the Proverbs 31 woman understood that she was doing that for the purpose of supporting her husband in the context of the home, flowing out from the home, right? So there are exceptions, and those are always present. And each individual family needs to apply wisdom in those exceptions and how you make decisions. So what does it mean to, to be a worker at home? What it does mean is that if you are a young married woman in this context with children, your home is your base of operation. It is your first and foremost priority and responsibility. The world may tell you, leave Or be occupied with other things outside of the home. You're being useless and worthless in the context of the home. Pursue freedom and independence and personal fulfillment and career and all of those things. Look after yourself. The word of God says, no, if you're married with children, look after your home, ladies. Look after your home first and foremost. And anything else that you do is out of that base of operations flowing outside. God says, if you're married with children... Be faithful in the home. This devotion is not only what glorifies Him, but is the primary way that you as a married young woman help your husband and fulfill your call as a helper suitable. The first and foremost priority. Now I realize that what I'm going to ask now, and this next, this what I'm going to say next is going to step on some toes. I realize that, and that's all right. Because ultimately you need to answer to the Lord and not to me. There are some of you who work out of necessity, right? And there are those exceptions. Others of you, not so much. Others of you haven't ever even asked yourself really, truly, genuinely this question. Why do I feel the need to work outside of the home? Why? I'm amazed at how many people don't ask themselves what motivates them to do certain things. And even some young women that I've known Don't ask themselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why should I do this? Is it because I need to work or because I want to work? There's a difference, right? A young married woman may want to work for various reasons. She's really good at it. She may want to personally advance herself or she may just enjoy working. She finds it fulfilling and exciting and all of that and and fulfill whatever else. The problem is that none of these motivations are not sure reason, are sure reasons why a woman must work. It may be that you're very good at something. Some women are much better than, than men on many things. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to work because you're good at something. It may mean that you love what you do. And that in itself is not evil either. 
The problem, like anything else, ladies, becomes this. When your first responsibility and priority of your home, if you're married with children, is compromised, neglected, or abandoned altogether. That's the problem. That's the problem. This is when even good desires are, can become sinful desires. And personal idols that we set forward for ourselves. When we're willing to abandon what God clearly states in His Word, a young married woman with children should do. And we're willing to go out and instead pursue other things because of what the culture around us says. And often things, at the time we think that it doesn't matter, that this won't harm anybody in any way, right? For a young woman to go out and leave the home and pursue career. But this is simply not the case, is it? God is so gracious. God is so gracious. In many cases, he always is actually, but many times we see the repercussions of doing that. And we've seen the the repercussions of many, many Americans doing that, where women are leaving the home and going out and pursuing careers, and the children are basically neglected and left out for the culture to basically disciple and train them, right? We're seeing that in our society. I remember working at a child care center when I was a college student, and just to kind of make ends meet. And I enjoyed working with kids, so it wasn't so bad for me to do that. And I got to see for a couple of years firsthand the damage on children essentially abandoned by working mothers. And lackadaisical fathers who were irresponsible. Obviously in non-Christian circles, some of these women worked out of necessity, others not so. Some of them worked just to justify a way of life that even their husband wanted to justify. Some of them used it as a way to escape because they didn't have, they, they didn't have the know-how from their perspective to be g- uh, good mothers and wives within the context of the home. So they escaped that to go out into the workplace to do something that they really enjoyed doing, right? Some of them, their husbands sent them to work. Maybe their husbands... Like I said, wanted to justify a particular way of life. The husband didn't value the home. They thought that it was a waste of time for, for their wife to stay home and take care of kids and wash dishes and do all of those things. So they rejected that altogether and shipped off their wives to the workplace. I remember Tammy, a mom, young mom, in her late 20s, married. And her little son, Matthew, who was five, and he was such an angry little boy, but he was one of my favorite little boys I got to work with him for a year and a half when he was there. And whenever his mom would get there, he would start kicking and screaming and yelling at her and even cussing at her because the the dad talked to to his mom like that. He could barely speak, but he was doing that already. And I remember one day Tammy just breaking down after days and weeks of this kind of stuff and variations of it. And, and, our, and talking to our director who was a Christian in the office with the door open and she just broke down and she said, I don't know what's wrong with my kid. He says, I don't know what's wrong with little Matthew. This is the stuff that he always does. And of course, our director saying, yeah, Tammy, we know. We know this is the kind of stuff that he does. But when you're not here, he's actually well, better behaved. He said, Tammy, could it be, could it be that you need time with Matthew more focused? You know, you work a full-time job during the week. And by the way, the husband made her work a part-time job on the weekends. And he was trying to start his own uh, career and own business. So... Basically, the child was shipped off to uncles and aunts on the weekends. The dad is never around, right? The father figure. The mother's nowhere around. She's out there trying to make, uh, to bring home the bacon herself. Nobody's focusing on the little boy, and everybody's wondering, what's wrong with Matthew? What's wrong with Matthew? My director said, he needs you. He needs investment by you. See, husbands, God is gracious. 
But just recognize that if you ship your wife out to work, not, not, not from necessity, there is often cost to pay. And I'm not talking about dollar amounts. I'm talking about her spiritual protection, your wife's spiritual protection. I'm trying to, talking about time to invest into the home, time to invest into the kids. Her availability to come alongside of you to support you in godly endeavors will be limited if you do that. And some of this damage you won't see until later, in many cases. You know what? Some men are willing to do this to maintain a particular lifestyle. They're willing to do this, and they're happy to do it. I remember back in seminary, one of my mentors in seminary, in a small group setting, we were talking about this issue of, of women working. Some of these te- uh, my seminary guys were, were basically shipping off their wives to work, not because, not because, uh, necessarily out of a need, but because they wanted to focus fully on their, their seminary units and their education, and their wives needed to be out there working. And my seminary professor was like, you guys need to re- recognize that seminary is not a biblical mandate. But shepherding your family and caring for your family is. And so some of you guys better go get a job to provide at least for the rent. And if your wife is working part-time to, to, uh, to uh, come alongside of what you're already earning, then that's different. And I'll never forget what he, that he said this as well. Men, this is God's design or pattern. And there are lives at stake. So there are lives at stake. And that brought everything into focus for me. Because oftentimes, ladies, listen, the focus in all of your duties within the context of the home, washing dishes, doing laundry, making meals, cleaning, and all everything else that we are so thankful that you do, we don't talk about the fact that you are doing this as unto the Lord first and foremost, and two, that lives and souls are being touched by your loving service. Lives. We need to look at this through a relationship, don't we? Isn't that why you serve in the church? You don't do service in the church just to, to go through programs and get involved in all kinds of different things, 10 to 15 different things. You serve in the church because you want to glorify God and because you want to help people, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the people that we're after, right? People are ministry. And we glorify our Heavenly Father by loving people in our service and in everything that we do. Same thing in the home, ladies. You're touching lives. Your contribution to the gospel is huge, huge. How many people get the privilege of touching little or older human lives so closely all day long in an array of life situations as you do as a mama? How many people get that? Not even dads do. Not even dads get that privilege and opportunity. To share the gospel, for them to watch you in action, to see your example. And yeah, that's fearful and it's, it's like daunting, right? But on the other hand, it's a great privilege. And don't let the culture tell you that that's, that, let, let the culture devalue that in your life. Tell you that that is not time worthwhile. Absolutely not. If that is your calling, it's God's greatest calling. Unless he's given you the precious gift of singleness. It's a great gift of the Lord. And when you're armed with this type of thinking and perspective, that this is your God-given privilege and responsibility in the home, look at verse 5. You are going to be kind in how you do it. Older women are to teach the younger women to be kind. The word means good, useful, and profitable. It speaks to the action of younger women in the context of the home, but also the attitude with which she fulfills her service in the home. She loves to do good. She loves to benefit her family. That is the motivation of her heart. 
It is not drudgery. It is not burdensome. If it is, then you need to repent of that, ladies. You need to confess that to the Lord. Because more than anything, what that says is you have a deficient, sinful view of God. Right? And it's a good place. The pathway to Christ-exalting change, ladies, is repentance. Confess it to the Lord. And there is abundant grace at the cross, right? For forgiveness and renewal and a different kind of mindset concerning God and what He's called you to be in the home. We'll we'll look at the fourth subject matter next week, but let me close with this poem by a dear young married Christian gal. She writes this, Dear God, am I really supposed to do it alone? Am I supposed to find my way on my own? Where are the women who are supposed to be by my side, advising me, leading me, being my guide? Where are the women whose wisdom is strong, teaching me, shaping me, molding me along? Dear God, I'm not sure I've got what it takes. I walk in fear of making too many mistakes. I want to hear from a woman who knows a story like mine and how it goes. What roads has she taken? What roads should I take? I need her guidance for my children's sake. And some days it's just this young woman's plea that she should take some of the load off of me. I'm so overwhelmed. I never worked so hard, wondering what's at the end of this road. What's the reward? Jesus made the biggest sacrifice of all. Upon him a heavy burden did befall. So who am I, this little lamb? Can't sacrifice a little of who I am for the treasure he's given me to raise him? Is it worth it? I guess someday the answer will be clear. God, I pray you take me there because I'm tired and feel ready to quit. A lonely place I do sit. A wise woman of strength I do need to push me along, help me succeed. I know from you I have the strength inside to let my heart be my guide. With you I can accomplish victory, even if it's only me. But if it's your will, do send my way. A Titus to woman, this I pray. Lord, we need you first every hour of the day. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet it is an extension of your gracious hand that you have given us one another so that we might live well in Christ-exalting lives on this earth. You have designed your church to be a place not for isolated, independent, autonomous people, but for people who love one another by being invested into one another. Father, by your grace, help us to do so and to lovingly obey you in the power of your spirit and obedience to your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.